endurance in that center column of the backbone of Christian character. The 20th century witnessed a continual string of adventurers who, in the face of seemingly insurmountable challenges, conquered yet-to-be-discovered portions of our planet. Just amazing when you read of the feats of these men and women and what they did in the t- and in the time in which they did it. Robin Edwin Peary uh, planted a flag at the North Pole on April 6th in 1909. On the sixth expedition, they finally were able to make it with his best friend Matthew Henson and 38 sled dogs had dinner on the top of the world. Well, welcome to session six. We're talking about cultivating endurance in that center column of the backbone of Christian character. The 20th century witnessed a continual string of adventurers who, in the face of seemingly insurmountable challenges, conquered yet-to-be-discovered portions of our planet. Just amazing when you read of the feats of these men and women and what they did in the t- and in the time in which they did it. Robin Edwin Peary uh, planted a flag at the North Pole on April 6th in 1909. On the sixth expedition, they finally were able to make it with his best friend Matthew Henson and 38 sled dogs had dinner on the top of the world, literally, and celebrated that, that feat. On the other pole, Roland Amundsen braved unpredictable ice flows Arctic temperatures amidst 35-mile-an-hour winds and unexpected delays and finally reached the South Pole on December 14, 1911. And then Edmund Hillary climbed to the top of Mount Everest, 29,028 feet above sea level, the highest point on the planet. And he did that on May 29, 1952. And going the opposite direction, Jacques Picard navigated his bathyscape 35,800 feet, that's seven miles below the surface of the Pacific Ocean, to set it down on the bottom of the Mariana Trench on January 23rd, 1960. These, these are amazing feats, and if you read them, you will be thrilled and amazed at what these men 
And sometimes these women went through in, in uh, conquering these parts of our planet. Frigid temperatures, unimaginable hardships, and sometimes death. Uh, in fact, um, and, and, and other losses. In fact, um, Robin Perry lost all but two of his toes and the best years of his life trying to conquer the North Pole. Well, those successes had a lot to do with preparation, of course, but there was a lot of perseverance, a lot of endurance, as we're going to be talking about it. Now, most of us will not have to endure grueling hardships exactly like that. We probably won't be facing those kinds of frigid temperatures at the bottom of the ocean or at the top of Mount Everest, but nonetheless, there will be many challenging circumstances in our lives that will require the kind of endurance that Peter is talking about. Most of the endurance that Peter is addressing here is the endurance that believers must have to, in, to not cave in to the external pressures of the world in persecution or in the worldliness that is around them. In addition to commitment, that first column, Peter is interested that we produce, that, that we develop and cultivate self-control and then endurance. Let's look at that word endurance for just a moment. It's, um, it's hupomane. It comes from a compound word which reads to remain under. Kind of like those sled dogs remaining under the weight of everything they were pulling in that harness. One commentator said in its classical usage, the word connotes courageous endurance that fully defies evil. It's not just putting up with hardship. It's working against something that is evil. And thus is active rather than passive. In Plato, it is brave resistance that is honorable to a man. Another commentator agrees. He says the word refers to a courageous and steadfast endurance in the face of suffering or evil. And what I want us to note here is that there is often an ethical principle at stake that requires endurance. A principle to be courageously defended or advanced even under pressure. And in the Scriptures, the man with endurance will do nothing that dishonors God, no matter how strong the external forces. One commentator said, this is therefore the manly virtue. Another says, there predominates in this word the concept of courageous endurance which manfully defies evil. Still another one says, it is the spirit which can bear things not simply with resignation, but with blazing hope. It is not the Spirit which sits statically enduring in the one place, but the Spirit which bears things because it knows that these things are leading to a goal of glory. It is not the patience which grimly waits for the end, but the patience which radiantly hopes for the dawn. It has been called a manly constancy under trial. It has been said that always it has a background of Andrea, which is courage. It is the quality which keeps a man on his feet with his face to the wind. It is the virtue which can transmute the hardest trial into glory because beyond the pain it sees the goal. And do you, do you catch the flavor of the eternal here informing the particular? Do you catch the, the, the flavor here of the eternal informing the temporal. This is what is at stake here. It is not just gritting our teeth and holding on no matter what. It is remaining faithful to what is right because God is involved. And it's His glory that is at stake. 
He goes on to say, George Matheson, who was stricken with blindness and disappointed in love, wrote a prayer in which he pleads that he might accept God's will, quote, not with dumb resignation, but with holy joy. Not only with the absence of murmur, but with a song of praise. Only hupumane can enable a man to do that. Folks, that is the testimony of the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. And in fact, it says of Moses in Hebrews 11.27 that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. What allowed him to put up with the complaining and the murmuring and the problems of all of those people in the, in the children of Israel in the wilderness for all of those years? It was the invisible God he was serving and that he saw. And that's true for every one of these people in Hebrews 11. It was the faith which was the evidence of things not seen. Endurance is that ability to remain faithful to God under pressure because your heart looks continually to God in faith for strength and reward. I've defined it this way on your chart. It is a God-sustained faithfulness under external pressure. A God-sustained faithfulness under external pressure. Self-control is dealing with our internal passions, our internal desires. This is dealing with our external pressures. I came to Bob Jones University in 1970, which was two years after the founder had passed away and gone on to meet the Lord. And I never heard him preach. But during my freshman year, when God got a hold of my heart and turned my heart toward him, I wanted to find out more about what this founder had to say. And I read many books of his sermons. And I remember a favorite one of mine was a little book called Things I Have Learned. And in that book were several sermons just called Chapel Sayings. And Dr. Bob Sr. had a way of taking pithy little homespun sayings that, that um, captured scriptural truth and then driving them home with the scriptures and with, with uh, homey illustrations. And those sayings are now posted above various classroom chalkboards at the university. And I went through those recently looking at how many of them dealt with this matter of endurance. And I want to just show you some of them. Finish the job. That requires endurance. You can do anything you ought to do. Go as far as you can on the right road. The door to the room of success swings on the hinges of opposition. Do not ask God to give you a light burden. Ask Him to give you strong shoulders to carry a heavy burden. And then this one, the test of your character is what it takes to stop you. I want to talk about that one for just a little bit. The test of your character is what it takes to stop you. And I, I want you to ask yourself, and I'm going to be asking you some questions. What does it take to make me stop doing the right thing? That's the test of your character. How much endurance do you have? In fact, when the world talks about character, they generally are speaking of endurance. When they see somebody who's been through some hardship and they say, my, that man or that woman has character, they're talking about their endurance. 
Well, let's ask ourselves some questions. Do I stop being kind when another person offends me in some way or there is something about the person that does not appeal to me? What does it take to make you stop being kind to people? Do I stop being obedient just because I don't agree with the policy or because it inconveniences me? What does it take to stop you from obeying? Do I stop exercising self-control because I'm discouraged at the moment and want to do something that will make me feel better? And boy, isn't that temptation when we're not feeling very well? Boy, isn't it easy to do something that will make us feel better and is often a sinful thing? Do you stop exercising self-control just because you don't feel well and you want something to make you feel good? Or because my friends are indulging sinfully in something and I don't want to be left out or thought of as a coward? Do I stop seeking God in my Bible and praying daily just because my schedule gets full? What does it take to stop you from reading your Bible? Or something doesn't go the way I want it to go and so I'm upset with God. What does it take to make you stop reading your Bible? Do I stop maintaining pure thoughts and actions when I'm given the opportunity to feed my lusts undetected through the internet, movies, or television? Or when I'm alone with a member of the opposite sex who is not my spouse? What does it take to stop you from being pure? Do I stop being honest when shading the truth would keep me from being held responsible for wrongdoing? Or would bring me praise which I didn't learn, which I didn't earn? What does it take to make us stop being honest? Do I stop sacrificing for people when they don't seem to appreciate it or when no one seems to notice? Well, if they're not going to be thankful about it, I guess I'm not going to do it. Is that what regulates our sacrifice? What, is it, what does it take to stop us from being sacrificial? Do I stop taking hope in the promises of God? And become discouraged when I don't see circumstances working out the way I want them to or as fast as I want them to. What does it take to stop us from taking hope? Or do I stop being a diligent worker when no one is present to hold me accountable for my work? Or when the working situation isn't what I had expected? Well, this is harder than I thought. This is more than I thought. You can't expect me to work hard. What does it take to make you stop working hard? Every character quality is only as good as its steadfastness under pressure. You can't say, I'm an honest man, unless you're honest when it costs you something to be honest. You can't say, I'm a moral person, unless it costs you something to remain moral. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a diligent worker. Well, what does it cost you to stay diligent? These qualities are tested by their perseverance under pressure. Then we can say we possess them when we still have them under external pressure. That's the kind of endurance the Bible is talking about. So follow this progression again on the chart. Let's look at that again. What is happening here? How do you cultivate endurance? As in all of these, you cultivate endurance by continuing to cultivate the things that undergird it because you can't have endurance without the things before it. It begins when we agree with God that our purpose on earth is to display the excellencies of Jesus Christ. That's cultivating arete. I'm here to show forth the excellencies of our God. And our God is an enduring God. 
and I need to be like him. And then I've got to study the ways and the, and the person and the work of Jesus Christ, find out what he's like and therefore what I should be like, and that's cultivating knowledge. But then I face the battles of my own sinful impulses that don't want to do that. And in the power of the Spirit of God, I've got to subordinate, bring order to my own lusts under the will of God. That's cultivating self-control. And it is that self-control, that, self, that spirit-enabled self-control that is the foundation of endurance. Folks, you cannot hold up under external pressures unless you already have your own internal lust under control. Because of per- what happens? A person gets under pressure and he starts thinking, I don't have to put up with this. I, I didn't ask for this. This is no fun. What is happening here? A man is not in control of his thoughts. There's no self-control, so there's no endurance. To have endurance, you've got to have self-control of your own passions and of your own thoughts. You can't let your thoughts go there if you're going to endure. I want you to think with me a moment about a situation. Let's say a mother who has teenage children facing the final months of her life. And you perhaps have known somebody, this is a very generic situation, but it, 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 it encapsulates um, many of the situations that you and I may, may know about. Excruciating pain in her cancer-ridden body. And she is soon to be leaving behind her loving husband and her teenage children. And it would be easy for her, would it not, to give in to fear, anger, despair, at these external circumstances that are coming her way, and she may wince in pain and shed tears of sorrow, but she knows that by God's grace she can greatly rejoice, as Peter said, though if need be for the moment, we are in heaviness through manifold temptations through all of these various trials. And she knows she has, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1.3, she has a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And throughout her life, she has learned, as Peter says, to gird up the loins of your mind. This is no time for sloppy thinking. And hope unto the end for the grace that is to be wrought unto her at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How does a woman who is facing those kinds of situations, have that kind of joyful endurance in the midst of all of that pain and in the midst of the sorrow that she is feeling at the thought of leaving her family behind. How did that happen? It started as a child when she learned to say no to herself to obey her mom and dad. Her family had limited financial means, perhaps. And her parents taught her how to say no to her spending impulses. And she learned how to say no to herself and tithe on what little money she had. And to save the rest of it for something important, maybe college. And that's the way her parents trained her, to say no to herself for important things that mattered, to bring order to her life. In college, she had to say no to herself to maintain a daily devotional life with God, even though her schedule was very full. 
And as a leader, perhaps in the resident hall, she had to say no to herself in order to deal with hard situations with people who were disorderly. And in the power of the Spirit of God, she said no to herself to do what she needed to do. She resisted the temptation to dress and talk sensually to attract a husband. She was saying no to her personal desires. When she started dating... She said no to her desires to become physically involved with the man with whom she was eventually to marry. And then together they decided they really needed to say no to marriage because they both needed to finish college. And that wasn't what she wanted either, but she said no to herself and he said no to himself because that's what God wanted them to do. It was the best thing, it was the best way to order their lives. And marriage taught her to say no to herself, to adjust to a man she deeply loved but who nonetheless was still a sinner and didn't always respond right or fulfill his responsibilities right, and she learned to say no to herself and depend upon God. And a lot of her classmates, other ladies, didn't have to work after marriage because they married somebody with a lot of money. She did not, and she had to go to work after marriage, and she had to say no to herself and no to the self-pity that why do I have to work so hard and the other people around me don't? All along this, this woman's life, God was giving her opportunities in these fitness stations, these repetitions, to say no to herself in the power of the Spirit of God to remain faithful to what God had given her to do. And then children came along. And that teaches all kinds of new ways to say no to yourself at all hours of the day and night. And she learned how to do that graciously in the power of the Spirit of God. And now in hospice care for her final weeks, men and women like this are a blessing to other people because of their joy and because of their peace. How did they come to have this kind of perseverance under these external pressures? by a lifetime of self-denial for God and other people. Folks, that's the way it's cultivated. You don't just wake up one morning and suddenly endure. You start by working out on the fitness stations of all the other virtues before it. And you have, this, you have the stuff that endurance is made of. It is forged on the anvil, sometimes of years, of daily commitment to Christ, followed by countless surrenders to Him, like the repetitions in a gymnasium. And every time this young man we talked about in the last session, as he learns how to study, every night as he sits down and commits himself to God's will and what God wants him to do and the diligence God wants him to have, he is developing the backbone the spiritual fortitude to endure. But the person who caves in because he doesn't like doing this and he doesn't like that person and he doesn't like this assignment and he doesn't like this person telling him what to do will never develop endurance. Because by very definition, endurance, you stay with it. You don't cave in. But you've got to do that sustained by all the things you have come to know of God and of His faithfulness to people who will obey Him and the grace He will give.
There's some, there are many wonderful illustrations of that in the Scripture. My favorite, as those of you in this church know, is Joseph in Genesis 37 to 50. Here is a guy raised in a dysfunctional family. If there ever was one, Joseph had it. Here he is raised with four moms. You think you had trouble with one. He's got four moms all, the sa- all at the same time. Ten brothers who hate him. A spoiled sister. And a doting father. This guy doesn't have a chance. That may be why God sent him into captivity. To get him away from all the stuff that was going to mess him up. I don't know. But he sold into captivity by jealous brothers, envious brothers. And that one decision to sell him into slavery determines a lot of external circumstances for that young man. He may have dreamed of living in a condo tent by the, by the Sea of Galilee. And now he's in slave quarters in Egypt. He doesn't get to pick the menu. From a, he doesn't get to pick from a menu. He's got to eat whatever they feed slaves that day. And he's got to wear whatever slaves wear. And he's got to live wherever slaves live. And he's got to learn a new language. And he's got to make new friends in a language that he doesn't understand. This is hard. These are external circumstances that make life difficult. He's removed from the people he loves. There's no support group for slaves. The external circumstances are very difficult. And yet we see in this man remarkable stability. No bitterness. Why? Because he had a God-sustained faithfulness under external pressure. He had endurance. We find him later on in Potiphar's household. He didn't start off in Potiphar's household. He was sold as a slave to Potiphar. But an Egyptian lord doesn't go out to the slave block and look at a bunch of slaves out there and say, I want you to come in and run my house. He has no idea what that slave can do. Joseph was hired to probably do something, not hired, he was sold, bought to do something else, probably to work in the fields. But there was something about this young man that made him stand out among all of his peers, the other slaves. And eventually Potiphar brought him into the house where he had control, uh, where he was overseeing the fields, the other slaves. And then eventually he was managing the whole household. There was something about this man that set him apart. What was it? It was a God-sustained faithfulness under external pressure. He was not like the other slaves. In that household, he establishes, obviously, a good reputation. And then Potiphar's wife decides that she wants to sleep with him, and she tries to seduce him. And he remains faithful to his God and faithful to his master. Under all of that external pressure that was appealing to his internal desires. And he said no to his flesh. And he said no to Potiphar's wife, and it cost him his job. I think she probably thought it was going to cost him his life, and that's what she wanted. But Potiphar takes him and puts him down in prison. And that was not easy down there. In fact, the scriptures say that his feet were hurt in irons. There was physical 
torment that came to Joseph being in irons in that prison initially. But even under that, apparently his spirit was so excellent that he was brought out of those irons and made the overseer of the royal prisoners. How did that happen? Here's a man who has a God-sustained faithfulness under external pressure. And he serves that butler and baker, those royal prisoners, and interprets their dreams. And eventually, uh, one of the, the butler is released and restored to his position. The baker is killed by, by uh, Pharaoh. And as the butler leaves the prison, Joseph says, Remember me. I, I, I was, I'm falsely accused in this prison. And when you get to Pharaoh, please remember me. And day after day after day, no word. The external pressure of time. You know, all of us can do right for a little while. But when it drags on and it's hard, we need endurance. And for two years, I imagine every time that jail cell, that door opened, Joseph is thinking, I wonder if they're coming to let me out. And it didn't happen. And two years later, the butler remembers it when Pharaoh has a dream that needs to be interpreted and Pharaoh brings Joseph out of that prison and, and now Pharaoh ha uh, Joseph has an opportunity to interpret that dream for Pharaoh and he has a chance, folks, to sabotage Egypt. And he didn't do it. Instead, he interpreted that in the will of God and became the Savior of Egypt and the Savior of all of the children of Israel. How did that happen? He had a God-sustained faithfulness under external pressures. And finally brought his family down to Egypt. And now he has a chance to take revenge, does he not? But he doesn't do it! Why? Because he has a God-sustained faithfulness to God and His ways, even under external pressure. And he, by the way, he has a chance to take revenge on Potiphar's wife, and he doesn't take that either. Here's a man with amazing endurance. How did that happen? The same way we just described. Trial after trial after trial after trial where you say no to yourself because of what God wants you to do, and in the power of God's Spirit, you do right no matter what. Joseph knew that God was a certain kind of person who would keep his word. A person who had a plan and was working that plan. God, Joseph remained faithful to God under pressure because God had promised him something. God had given him a couple of visions of that he would rule over his family. And that had not yet happened. And that promise of God sustained him as the word of God, his promises will sustain us. But see, you've got to have a, a mind with enough self-control to keep yourself focused on the promises instead of all the what-ifs and the problems that could be happening. If you're going to have this kind of endurance. And folks, this is our only true stability as well. If God is not our vision and His promises are not our confidence, we will fall when we are betrayed. We will fall when we are seduced. 
We will fall when we are mistreated. We will fall when we are promoted to power. Unless God is our vision and His promises are our confidence and we have been allowing Him to train and discipline us to have a mind that is renewed by the Spirit of God. Endurance, as we have seen from the life of Joseph, is grounded in the knowledge of God. And it draws upon that self-control that is able to keep the mind stayed upon the goal and the promises of God and not be distracted by unsettling events. One of the major themes of the book of Hebrews is endurance. And we have, after that chapter of Hebrews 11, that hero, that, that chapter of the heroes of the faithful, we have these instructions and this example of the Lord Jesus in Hebrews 12 in the first four verses. Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, all of these Hebrews 11 people that have gone before us, people who have given us an example that this can be done with the power of God. You can endure if you see Him who is invisible. Let us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience. That's our word, endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. They did it with the help of God, and we can too. Looking, how did they do it? Looking unto Jesus, the author, the one who started it all, and the finisher, the one who will complete it all. Who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured, that's our word again, endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him. Think about this, He says. Consider Him that endured, that's our word again, such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. How did the Lord Jesus endure? He was a man, Hebrews says, was, was tempted in all ways like as we are yet without sin. He endured because he kept before him the result of his suffering. What was going to come out of all of this? The smile of his father and the redemption of his people. There was a reason he endured. And folks, there must be a reason you and I endure. It's not just so that we can look good or so that we can get better grades or so that we can have a better testimony, although all of those things are good things. It's because there's a God in heaven who has said, you will glorify me by the right response to these circumstances I will give you. He knew what his father was doing. And he knew what his father had promised. So I ask you tonight, what external pressures make it hard for you to do the right thing? It might be the external pressures of friends that you need to get rid of. It may be the external pressure of the world around you. How are you meeting those pressures? What are you doing about them? How do you handle injustices? 
How do you handle mistreatment? How do you handle temptation? Do you cave into the pressure? Well, you and I have to cultivate our ate. That purpose to develop the likeness of Christ no matter what. Cultivate the knowledge of God and His ways. Cultivate that self-denying, spirit-enabled self-control to bring our internal passions into the will of God. And that will equip us to have the backbone of endurance. This is a significant part of the backbone of Christian character. It is the staying power, the virility, the strength. It is the backbone of faithfulness, by the way, folks, for marriages and for parenting and for ministry. May God help us to want it and to cultivate it.